Kennedy Smart and my pastor came to our house in the projects and led our family to Christ. And we didn't move out of the projects, but Jesus moved in. Welcome to the Rabbit Hole Recordings, stories of faith, hope, and love found in unexpected places. I'm your host, Kurt Moore, and today we're talking with Randy Neighbors, coordinator of Urban and Mercy Ministries for Mission to North America. Randy also serves as the coordinator of the New City Network, where along with his wife, Joan, they counsel, coach, encourage, and equip pastors and congregations in the works of mercy and cross-cultural ministry. In this episode, we discuss practical ways in which ordinary Christians can make an extraordinary impact. I just wanted to ask you how you've seen over the years mercy, the love of God that's extended to folks in need, how you've seen Jesus show up and make an appearance in the lives of those who are the recipients of mercy. And then I guess another question would be how Jesus has made an appearance in the lives of those who have heard the call and, and served. You know, here in Chattanooga, we started doing short-term mission teams. Uh, in other words, we started being a host for teams to come to us in 1985 and I remember it because my wife and I had come back from Africa as missionaries and uh, I was talking to one of my deacons and he he had told me he said you know while you were gone a church called and asked about sending a mission team and we we laughed and we said nah we we don't want you here and I I when I heard that I looked at him and I said you said what I said we don't have enough people to help the people we're trying to minister to. I said, we need more boots on the ground. I said, who are they? Yeah. And so from that time on, we started to invite churches to come and be here. At first, we uh, used the ministry uh, to widows. Uh, Chattanooga, it's now Chattanooga Widows Harvest Ministry. And we would bring a team in and, and we would pick a widow or two and they would uh, paint a room or a porch or build a ramp. Uh, they would help clean, uh, do yard work. And as we began to do that, we also said, you know what, we, we don't want teams to come here and just do service. We want them to do evangelism. And I had been trained, uh, my training as a teenager, and eventually to train to preach was to do children's Bible clubs. And so that's how I learned to give a gospel message. And so from then on, we said, if you come here, we want you to do a service project. We want you to do evangelism, namely a backyard Bible club or a children's uh, ministry team. And we also want to train you in urban ministry and cross-cultural ministry. And so now it's, uh, this is 2021, so we're talking about 35, 36 years of teams that have come in and sometimes we've had you know when we didn't have COVID we would have 10 weeks of teams come in and so over a course of a summer we've had four to five hundred young people sometimes college students sometimes families and we all of them have done service evangelism and training and worship with us and um, I'll tell you two particular stories of how it has impacted people that have come on those teams. 
because as New City planted other churches and grew, uh, they also would have teams. And so like one of our daughter churches is in St. Louis, New City. And one day I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a young man, uh, he had just come back from getting a master's at Harvard um, in, in, in urban planning. And he said, you know, I am working for this nonprofit because of you. And I said, I, what? He said, yeah, when I was in high school, I went on a mission trip to St. Louis and got involved in urban ministry. And I decided that's what God was calling me to. So I went to college, I went to grad school at Harvard, and now I'm back and he's working now at Crossover Ministries in Tulsa, which is one of our network ministries, running that nonprofit. Another time I was in Boston at Christ the King and uh, the pastor had invited a bunch of folks to come sit with me and talk about mercy ministry. And this young woman sitting next to me said, you know, I teach inner city school because of you. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, I was in high school and I came on a mission team to Chattanooga and my eyes were opened to the ministry to the poor. And I felt that's what God was calling me to. Her father, by the way, was a PCA elder who taught at Harvard Law School. And uh, so, you know, those kind of, that kind of fruit coming back to you after years just kind of blows me away. Um, and it's great that God was able to give you a vision of that too. Sometimes you don't get to see that. That's, that's beautiful. Right. That's right. You don't always see the return. There is no doubt that hundreds of widows, poor families, kids, and by this time, I mean, 35 years of child Bible clubs, we're talking about thousands of children who have heard the gospel, who have heard a call to receive Christ as their Savior. I have no idea how many of them we'll see in heaven but I do know I have seen the tears of poor people weeping and saying thank you for helping us. And I have seen uh, the engagement of young high school kids, many of whom eventually came here to Covenant College uh, to say, I saw God at work uh, just in that week. Now, mission teams can, can be terrible. They can be wrong. They can be done badly. Uh, bad things can happen, but they're also a wonderful opportunity to share Jesus uh, with the people of the city, to bring reinforcements to a church like ours, which is committed to the city, and give us boots on the ground to get stuff done. Um, as long as they come as servants, you know, if, if you have a church that says, I want to come do a mission trip, and they basically said, and, and we want to be, we want these kind of accommodations. We want this kind of food. We want this, these many days off. Uh, we want to kind of go uh, whitewater rafting, or we want to go to the, the sightseeing. And basically, we have a little bit of time left for you in ministry. Then our answer would be, then you it shouldn't come. Probably here. isn't the place for you. Because we're kind of famous for making you sleep hard, work hard, go to bed tired, usually have great food, 
We always try to do that. But we're going to ride you hard and put you up wet. <laughs> and when you get home, you're going to praise God for the opportunity. Well, I know when we were planting Lanyap after Hurricane Katrina, we benefited from years of those teams who had served with New City, who came and served with us, not just with us, but all the other ministries mm -hmm. along the coast um, that experienced need from the hurricane. And uh, that's a legacy uh, that was probably a model for the things that we've done. And with our short-term missions, that pattern of the way you described it, where there's a physical work in the morning and then we do VBS, and there's an orientation to Mercy Ministry. Um, that really has set, uh, set mm -hmm. the agenda as a model for, for a lot of ministries. And so um, that's why I always enjoy talking with you. Um, I feel like I'm a beneficiary of, of what you guys have been doing as well. Mm. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I wonder how many other, the trajectory of that that goes on um, to glory. So. Amen. And, it, you know, and it's impacted New City uh, in terms of our church has sent out many mission teams. And our kids, a lot of our young people have grown up hosting other teenagers from around the country. And, you know, teenagers love teenagers. You know, young adults, they love, young, you know, and they get excited and say, wow, the kingdom is big. Right, exactly. And so we have sent, at one time, our church had a reputation that if there was a disaster in the world, anywhere in the world, we'd have a team there within a month. So we've gone to Sri Lanka, we've gone to Guatemala and Honduras and, uh, you know, Jamaica. And, you know, if there was trouble, um, Mexico, MTW would ask us, MNA would ask us, and we would have a team there. There was a period of time we had a bunch of churches that were being burned down uh, in right. West Tennessee. Right, I heard about that. And we mobilized and sent teams there, and lo and behold, one of our teams was there, and uh, the president and the vice president of the United States show up for a photo opportunity. So we have that in one of our church directors. That's great. <laughs> the connection with short-term, you know, we would love for folks to be encouraged to participate in acts of mercy in their own community, um, what would you, what kind of advice would you give for folks considering that? Um, maybe so, serving in their own community or okay. seeking opportunities. Yeah. Well, I think the very first thing is sort of a, a change in your perspective. If, if as a church your perspective is um, we help our own, but we don't help people we don't know. I would say you need to change your perspective. Now, I will t uh, confess to you, there are probably churches who don't even help their own. You know, they don't set aside any money for benevolence for their own people. Now, they might respond if one of their members, their house caught fire or there was some horrendous thing that happened. But I would say following the model in the book of Acts, when people got saved and they got excited about the gospel, they would actually sell their property or a house and they would come. And this was totally their own decision. Nobody made them do this. 
And they would bring the proceeds and lay it at the feet of the apostles. And all of a sudden, the apostles had this money. And then a few chapters later, you realize they're feeding widows in the church. And that became really what we think are the formation of the first deacons. And so that laying aside money for the purpose of mercy, you really need to have a vision, a perspective that there are people all around us who could use help. What an opportunity uh, to share Jesus with somebody. You know, we actually have people writing books about how to figure out how to talk to somebody about Christ. And when you could just simply go to somebody and, and see that their house is falling down, they're out of work, uh, they have chronic diseases, their children don't have enough clothes or shoes for school, you know, bingo, there's your opportunity. And, you know, a church in any community could go to their local high school and talk to the principal. You have any families here who need help? You could go to your local uh, police department. You have any families who are struggling? You could go to human services and say, are there families that need help? They'll, they'll give them to you. They're happy to do that. Yeah. They'll, they, and, and a lot of them will just be blown away. You mean a church wants to, wants to help people? Well, now, did I hear your testimony? Um, tell me again where you grew up. It's New Jersey, but I can't remember exactly. Yeah. I was born in Memphis, but my, uh, my father and mother broke up when I was about four. Put us on a train with my mother and my sisters to New Jersey, to Newark, New Jersey. Newark. And my mom's life fell apart, and uh, emotionally, economically, spiritually. She got pregnant by another man. My grandparents were very moral people, and so she gave that child up for adoption. Turned around, got pregnant again. And I think this was probably the lowest point in my mother's life, because she had, she felt like she had failed her parents. She didn't know how to handle raising uh, her kids as a single parent mom. She lost her job. She's now we're living in the city housing projects of Newark on welfare. And Newark at one time was called the worst city in the United States. So we were very much a statistic. And lo and behold, as John Calvin might have said, how lucky, <laughs> you know, a single, another single parent mom invited my mom out to a house church that had an evangelist there for the week, and his name was Kennedy Smart, one of the founders of the PCA. And the very next day, Kennedy Smart and my pastor came to our house in the projects and led our family to Christ. And we didn't move out of the projects, but Jesus moved in. Jesus moved in. And uh, basically, that church discipled us and really discipled us out of poverty. And um, so it was that kind of urban ministry in my family's life that launched me and where I felt the call from God to be a preacher of the gospel and to serve in the city. No, that's a beautiful story, and I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, that's, um, that's an example of you know, what you just talked about, um, where you can go to the police, you can go to the school, or I guarantee you there are people in churches that have, are connected through networks of relationships where they know folks. Um, so 
oftentimes I'll ask God, I'll say, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to talk about you today? Just praying. And it's amazing how he answers that yes. prayer. So that would probably be a, a good way to start too, is just to pray if you really have a desire or even asking God to give you a greater desire. But um, I know my faith has been encouraged when I've seen God work in that way. Yeah. And, uh, and it propels you on to, to greater acts of love and service, right? Yeah. You know, one of the, uh, the challenges, uh, I think, for any minister of the gospel is, okay, you talk about helping the poor, but what about preaching the gospel? Isn't that our main goal? And my answer is, I think we have to model our lives after Christ, who went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom and doing good. And I think they always go together. And I think when we go out and we preach the gospel, however we do it, here uh, I have tried to train my church to use children's uh, outdoor Bible clubs as one of the main bridges to the community because there's no sneaking up on people. When we hit that neighborhood, we say, we're going to do a Bible club. We're going to talk about Jesus. There's no pretense. And lo and behold, the children come. And we talk to them and we talk to their parents and we invite them to our church. Um, as we meet them, we see their physical needs. And so we're leading with Jesus, but we're immediately doing good. So if we see a family who's struggling, we're gonna, if, if that family says we need help, we're going to help them. They don't have to be members of our church, but we have already come into their neighborhood. We know they have a need. And so we have developed all kinds of nonprofits have, have spun off our church. We have an economic development ministry called Hope for the Inner City. We have a clinic called LifeSpring Health Clinic which we built basically to take care of children who have no insurance. We have sports leagues with Chattanooga Sports Ministries for inner city middle school kids. And we meet their families and see their needs and we help them and we preach the gospel to them. And it's always a both and. And I think if you just did one without the other, we would feel sort of half-dressed. Right. We're in a conservative denomination and Yet, I think there are many practices we do that are unbiblical. One is that we hold to almost this Greek dualism, you know, that the spirit, the things of the spiritual nature are good, the physical is bad. Mm. So we think the proclamation is all we need to do, right? And mm -hmm. it's almost like for a long time, for decades, we have emphasized the preaching of the word, which mm -hmm. is excellent. Amen. But without the um, acts of mercy and service mm -hmm. so it's almost like we uh, inadvertently believe a false gospel because that's mm. that's a false gospel isn't it mm -hmm. like, I'm thinking that you don't have to say anything about that if you don't want to get in trouble <laughs> I mean to rephrase that and I can always edit this mm. I'm the one that'll get in trouble well I do think and you and I were talking about this earlier I do think one of the prop we are a very in many ways we're an incredibly blessed denomination and we're blessed with a lot of different things. One of the, our blessings is an educated clergy. We, we take our academics very seriously because we take our theology seriously. We want all our pastors to be extremely well-trained 
And not only do we send them off to school, but we won't let them be preachers in our denomination until they are licensed and ordained by our presbyteries. They go through an arduous process. And unfortunately, what we sometimes create is sort of an elitist, uh, cognitive, intellectual group of preachers who don't know much about how to help the common man. They, they have the view, well, people need the word, and I'm going to give them the word. Amen. Amen. The apostles believed that too. Jesus believed that too. But they also went about doing good. And so I would just say that PCA or teaching elders have not improved on the pattern of Jesus. You know, so if somebody wants to come after me for saying that, go ahead. Our pattern is not the Reformation. Our pattern is the Scripture. Amen. The Reformation helped us recapture the Scripture. But it's the Scripture where we need to build our pattern of ministry. And so that pattern of ministry has to be holistic. It cannot simply be academic, cognitive, and intellectual. It has to be all of life. And we are blessed also in that our denomination is fairly affluent. And so a lot of our people, they don't need anything. They don't need anything until. So therefore, it's hard to empathize with folks if you've not really experienced or tasted that financial Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and empathy, you know, for me, when I, when, often when I preach uh, to a church, and I'll, I'll tell my story, I'll tell how I came from poverty, and uh, there's usually somebody sitting there who will come up afterwards and said, you know, I did too, but I've forgotten where I come from. And uh, at one time in America, almost any, especially our grandparents' generation, they remembered the Great Depression. They were kids during that Great Depression, or depending on how old they were. But they lived through it. They know what it's like to stand in a bread line. You know. I had dinner last night with uh, folks that are hosting me, had dinner with them, and told them about my grandmother, who grew up in Mississippi, and she picked cotton. Yeah. She picked cotton in rows with other uh, folks, white people, black people. Yeah. And my grandfather did too? It was a, it was a time of, of great need. And uh, that discipled her as well. And she loved Jesus. Um, seems like she always recognized her need. Um, and was always mm-hmm. trying to participate in acts of service. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I was more like that. I tend to forget. Mm. Um, well, sometimes we forget that our blessings, uh, our economic blessings, rob us of the blessings of poverty. And that's one reason the poor hurt him gladly. It's one reason that the poor are so focused on by God in the scripture. Because they have always this intense awareness of need. You know, when you say you need to live by faith, it's kind of hard to live by faith when then you know where every meal is going to come from. Right. You know, it's not, not just that you have a job, but you have assets, you have investments, you have a sealed ret- retirement. You, you know, you, where is your faith at? 
I have jokingly said, although it might not be inaccurate, like if I was asked, like, how much trust do you have in Jesus? I might say 5%. Hmm. And that might be generous. And I say that sarcastically because my hope and trust often, I think, is in so many other things that I have that are around me. Uh, when I was uh, new to the faith, I remember I prayed. It was, uh, I forgot the psalm. Search me, O Lord, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any way offensive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And there were lots of good things and lots of challenging things um, mm. through that prayer. Mm. But God made himself known. Um, but that's a prayer. Sometimes it's difficult to ask. Search me and know my thoughts. Test me, know my anxious heart. That's, uh, that's asking God to do some surgery on you without anesthesia, right? Mm. Mm. But then I guess God shows up in that too. You're right. There are dangerous prayers to pray. You know, like one is, Lord, teach me humility. <laughs> <laughs> or give me patience. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we were cognizant of how dangerous those prayers are, but... Uh, that, that grandmother that I mentioned, um, I actually lived with her for about a year and a half before Kelly and I got married, and um, gosh, she was in her late 80s, and um, here I'm just a young buck, and I'd take her places, and she had arthritis, and she was slow, and she would say, Curtis... Um, I pray for you 10 times a day for patience. <laughs> I'm like, Granny, please don't pray that prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. No, that's good. Thank you. You've been listening to The Rabbit Hole Recordings, stories of faith, hope, and love found in unexpected places. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe to our show, and if you wouldn't mind, spread the word please tell your friends about us. And if you'd like to learn more about M&A Short-Term Missions, go to mnashortterm.org.